live from Linguini's base of operations. Today, we will be diving into stocks featuring Allison Mahmood. My thoughts on my cold shower challenge and a quote. So you're going to want to stay tuned for the dough. See you on the flip side. You are now listening to Linguini's Dough. I forgot to record an introduction when I was making this podcast, so here's a little post introduction. Um, today, I just wanted to talk about some stocks, and it's just kind of a general advice, and we talk about it with this person named Allison. Um, so we'll just have him introduce himself, and the podcast will begin. So if you'd like to introduce yourself, that would be great. Yep. Hi. Uh, so I'm Allison from Allison Mahmood. Uh, I've got a bit, you know, I've got a business in the finance sector. Actually, uh, we're operating uh, in the EU, building out a free educational platform for finance and then ESG brokerage. And, you know, because there's a lot of offerings you see, you know, from banks and all that, which are horribly overpriced. And we're really looking to kind of bring that uh, to the retail side. Outside of that, you know, I'm, I'm a physics student. Uh, I'm doing my undergrad in physics, just in my second year, finishing that off. And then, you know, I've always just been involved in business all around that and all around finance. Wow. Good job. Um, so how much do you feel like you know, slash are interested in the stock market? Sounds like you know a bit. I would say that, you know, quite a bit. Uh, it's something, yeah, like I've been trying to teach people and help people kind of get into it for about seven years now. I've been you know, I've been trading God forever, basically. I don't even remember so even a little bit more than seven years and I'm 21. So it's, mm-hmm. it's been, it's been kind of a large part of my life. So I'd say quite interested. And I, I don't know, I'd say I know a lot because there's, you know, there's some professionals that have been in the industry for ages who know way more, but for yeah. the, you know, for the average kind of trading and doing all that, I think I know a decent amount. When, when did you first start investing? So. I think I got into it around like 2010 uh, when I was like, all right, let me start learning, uh, figuring some bits out here and there. Uh, but then uh-huh. kind of properly uh, when I got into it was about nine years ago. So that would be 2012, I think, which is when I really kind of started to trade more and get more involved with it. And then afterwards, I started also trying to help people, you know, get into it, start trading themselves. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a lot of experience. <laughs> So what are some of the better stocks you maybe invested in? I think as far as kind of picking stocks and all that, uh, it is, you know, you shouldn't really be looking at it as like, oh, what's the better stock here, better stock there. I think it's about Uh what kind of fits your portfolio. So I have, you know, my understanding is around kind of the financial sector, around, uh, you know, the tech sector, because I'm quite interested in tech. And then here and there, uh, there's kind of small subtopics that I find interesting, like, there's some big business, you know, businesses very involved in ESG. I might go into those and things like that. So it's very much kind of you pick your specialization, what you really kind of understand, want to focus on, because then mm-hmm. you're going to understand what they're doing. So let's take, you know, let's take Apple. Everyone's like roughly familiar with Apple. So they're a pretty easy stock to get into and try to yeah. kind of figure out. But that's, those are kind of the standards. So I think, you know, when investing, now this very much depends on what you want to be doing. So take this more as an educational thing. Very much don't take it as kind of investment advice because there's a lot of variables here that you need to consider to properly figure out what makes sense for you. But essentially, 
uh, you have, you know, most people, if you look at them, you know, they should invest in like an index fund or something, which is just like a big portfolio of stocks, like the S&P 500 and all that, uh, just invest uh-huh. in that and then have kind of another portfolio where they can leverage their interests. So like, what is, what are your interests? Give me like one or two. I as well am interested in just technology and um, I was noticing, well, yeah, just technology is something I find interesting too. Um, mm-hmm. So what area of tech? So was it like consumer tech, uh, you know, uh, like corporate uh, solutions, cons- consumer. All right. Well, yeah. in that case, you know, if you, that's what interests you. That's what you have an understanding of. Like, th- that's what makes most sense for you to kind of have for that second smaller part of your portfolio, because you're going to understand those companies. You're naturally going to be interested in what they're doing, what the market's doing, what the consumers and kind of the brands around that are doing. So you can kind of see th- you know, everything that's going on. So mm-hmm. let's take an example. You're interested in tech. You're probably, you know, interested in NVIDIA and you're familiar, at least roughly, what's going on with the whole chip shortage and GPUs and all that getting taken up by crypto. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're familiar with the situation, which makes it much easier for you to get into it. Like if, you know, if, if you try to get into understanding what, you know, how Pfizer works and the vaccine and how they develop vaccines, how they compare to different, you know, offerings, that would be kind of a lot of, for, lot for you to catch up on. But since what uh-huh. interests you is uh, the tech, tech side of it, then you, you know, you're going to look at NVIDIA and you're like, yep, I have a rough understanding. And then you're just kind of going to do research to try to figure out where you think they're heading. So you know, you're going to look at basics mm-hmm. like news and all that, which you're probably familiar with. But from there, you're going to look at kind of their financials and then the technicals. Now, you probably heard those two terms, but alpha ties are really confusing when you're kind of starting off. So with financials, yeah. That's like the revenue and editbas and all this. And what, what those mean, you know, if, if we very much simplify it, is how are they doing as a company on like the tangible things? So how many units of something they sold? That's a fundamental value. How, may, you know, uh, how much debt do they have? That's kind of a fundamental uh, measurement. Now, there's a lot mm-hmm. of these, you know, you have revenue and pre-tax, post-tax investments and all this. And th- it kind of gets very complicated pretty quickly if you're uh, just, you know, kind of reading it. But if you start yeah. kind of looking into it and you look at like a balance sheet, right? If, if you're looking through that, after, you know, few times that you looked at balance sheets and kind of Googled around what the different terms mean, you'll start to kind of get a feel for an understanding of, you know, revenue is actually this and profits are that and yada, yada, yada. And that will give you kind mm-hmm. of a feel for how's the actual company doing? Because, you know, let's say a company has $200 million in revenue, which is basically how much turnaround in cash they have, but they have $7 billion in debt. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Probably a bad thing. Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. Because that's, yeah. you know, that's a ridiculous amount of debt. That's almost like the US government, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no chance of it going away. In those uh-huh. cases, like you would naturally be like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. That's excessive. That company's clearly not doing very well. And then, you know, if you see a company uh, that has a lot of cash reserves, a, you know, doing very well revenue-wise and all of that, you know, you're naturally once you you know once you understand the definitions of those terms that you know kind of thrown around, you're like, okay, that's that makes sense for the company. This, they're doing decently well, and then you look into kind of where are they heading, right? Because if you're in tech, if you're interested in tech, 
there's a lot of expectations where different companies are heading. You know, Apple has all their kind of, whoa, they're going to do mm-hmm. VR glasses and all this and that speculation. Like, I think Apple's probably the biggest company that like has the biggest amount of speculation about what they're going to do next. So they're very kind uh-huh. of an easy example for this. So you look at the speculation, what's expected, what do you think is happening? How do you think that the people, you know, how, how do you feel about the products they have and how do you think, you know, other people feel about the their current, you know, offering and what's going on there? So you start to understand kind of what the company is about. What are the like underlying value of the company is? And if you think that's mm-hmm. doing very, very well, then, you know, that you you probably expect, oh, yeah, well, the company's going to do well, so it's going to go up in price. If you look at it and it's like, oh, it's doing horribly, it's probably going to go down in price. That's, you know, you, you kind of start to form your image, you start to get an idea of the business. And, you know, just to use an example here, you know, a lot of people that were kind of buying, you know, into Tesla shares and all that, they buy into it because they have an expectation that, you know, Tesla will sell a lot more cars and they'll have a lot of the market and all their superchargers and all that has a lot of underlying value. So, you know, mm-hmm. when it when it's not like the memes, meme investment, of, oh, I'm just going to buy into it like that. When someone that kind of researches it, they go into it like, I believe that this company is heading in the right direction. Now, also, yeah. Tesla has a massive amount of shorting, which means people are selling it because they expect it to go down. So, you know, even like you can have one opinion on the way it's going to head and then other people are going to disagree with you and expect it to go in another direction. Uh, that's kind of part of the market, this balance of it. And as such, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's about what, what you think, what you kind of figure out, what you understand now, of course, they're they're always kind of you know financials and all that kind of the standard ways to look at it. And I do definitely recommend you learn it and try to understand all that. But at the end of the day, you give you take twenty analysts, which are absolute experts, throw them uh, the same company, and I guarantee you, it will not be all. Pe- everyone will be on one side unless it's some like perfect example company you pick up. But if you pick out a real world one, so. It's kind of just about forming that image, forming the expectations, where are they heading, what's going on, try to really understand the business. I think the best way to think about it is imagine yourself, if you were running that company, where Uh do you think it's heading? Do you think that from everything you know, if that was your company, do you think you would be doing well? Do you think you're doing poorly? Do you think you're going to grow a lot because of something you're doing? Or do you think you're going to lose a lot of market because some other company out there that's competing with you and kind of try to imagine what would you think about where you're heading with the company and that kind of gives you an image of the fundamentals is that why like CEOs play a huge part in how well the stocks can be at times i think that the CEOs definitely do play a kind of a big role in the way they talk about the business the way they kind of change the direction of the business but this uh-huh. is more for you to kind of imagine because it's 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 much easier often to think about it. What would I be thinking if it was my company as opposed to trying to kind of look at a third person perspective? Because I, you know, some people I spoke to it kind of gets mixed up for them. It gets kind of tougher for them. So the the easier thing oftentimes I found is if people take it kind of first person and talk about it, what they would think if it was their company. Uh, CEOs, mm-hmm. they, you know, this, the role of a CEO is very much kind of setting the macro direction that the business is heading in. So if you have a CEO that's heavily focused on you know, innovation and growth, that's going to very much affect the entire business because the CEO is kind of the highest level deciding factor before the board of directors and then, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, board of share, like the shareholders, which then get to vote people out and all that. 
Yeah. But like, so she has definitely played massive factor. Kind of just generally, any uh, kind of chief officer roles play a massive factor because you people have a big influence on the direction the business is heading. So okay, yeah, and be, you know, next to the fun financials, they're technicals. The technicals, ah, they're they're interesting. So without uh-huh. kind of being able to show you a chart, uh, basically technicals are the price history. So what the co- what the price of it was at different points in time. So like if you ever you know uh, those like f- finance movies like The Big Short or Margin Call, right? Whenever you see uh-huh. monitors, you you know those colorful charts with all kinds of lines on them that you see on screens. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's exactly those are kind of the technical. So looking at the price history, where it's heading, what's going on there, and stuff like that. And are, yeah, are technicals typically checked on a daily basis, or is it more for how long term the company you might think the company is going to go long term? It very much depends. So same way, same way, it depends on how you look at fundamentals, depending on you, uh, and kind of the strategy you're looking to take. It's the same principle with technicals. You know, I know people that look at fundamentals like every 10 minutes because their trades are aimed to be like a day or two at most. And then there are people who look at, uh, sorry, not fundamentals, technicals, you know, every 10 minutes because their trades are aimed to be, you know, two, one or two days at most. And then I know people who look at technicals mm-hmm. only when they open the position and then once every few weeks until, okay, I'm closing it. Let me look at the technicals again. So that this greatly varies, uh, but... With the price history, right? Like, if you think about it, why in the world would the history of the price in the different places, uh, you know, it, it changed direction and started, started going down or up? Why would that matter? Why would that actually affect anything? And to an extent, that's kind of a fair point. And uh-huh. it's, you know, technical analysis and that kind of side of it is rooted in, psycho- like, heavily in psychology and then... Uh, kind of the momentum and things like that so let's say the you know the the overall market's going down right now let's imagine that as kind of an example scenario well if the whole yeah. market is going down then you're going to have other people that are like oh the market's going down i should get out of this this is dangerous whatever yada 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 right people close mm-hmm. their positions people panic sell and as such that's kind of the you know, it, that will continue with the market going down. You know, kind of a, the typical example you hear, like, you know, the market bottoms out when everyone has sold and, you know, nobody else is selling, so it can only go up. And this mm-hmm. is essentially it, and it's kind of, you're, that, that follows the pattern of where the market's going. Uh, you can, uh, what's the saying? Uh, well, they're, they're saying basically, you know, never go against the direction of the market. The saying sounds better, I just don't remember it. Because the direction, you know, wherever the market's heading, that's going to kind of push the price that way. Because people are like, oh, yeah, this company's going up a lot. Well, you're going to have a lot of people get into it just because they're like, oh, yeah, it's going up a lot. So there is uh, kind of that psychological side of it. Uh, then there's the whole psychological side of it where, you know, if if someone's kind of closing a position and looking to leave uh, some, you know, uh, leave some position that they had open, naturally. Uh, they're going to be like, you know, I want to close it around $200. But what they're going to cl- enter into their kind of order to close is $200. They're not going to, like, nowadays people are starting to be like, you know, more of a, okay, I'm, I want to leave at $200. I'm 
So I'll put in 197 or 100 and like, you know, adjusting it slightly so they're not exactly at that mark. But often these uh-huh. kind of big numbers with a lot of zeros, uh, so round numbers, they oftentimes are kind of the reversal points because a lot of the market, this is psychology, right? And then we get into, you know, you can dig deeper and deeper as far as uh, kind of technicals and all that. But I think the biggest part around technicals is that, you know, they, they work for two reasons. Firstly, because a lot of people use them. And if everyone uses technicals, it is like, all right, at $200 to price for reverse, well, then market will reverse because that's how people are going to buy. So there's there's part of that. But uh-huh. more deeply, it's kind of rooted in a lot of kind of psychology and why things work the way they do around how people think about prices and that behavior and all that. So it's like when I got into finance myself and I was looking at kind of the technicals and like these price history and what does this mean? I was like, oh yeah, there's no way that that's crap. There's you know, I can't look at price and what happened to determine uh, what you know what it will be because mm-hmm. you know future and history that doesn't really kind of repeat in the same way. Uh, you can't kind of predict past you know future behavior from the past. But it turns out because of the way just technicals operate and the way they're justified, it gets you know, they do seem to work and they are very useful to consider. And there's a ton of people who trade very successfully just on technicals alone. And then there's a ton of people who trade very successfully just on fundamentals alone. So it's about finding the right balance of what makes sense for you, what's a good fit there as far as analyzing company, looking into and stuff like that. Okay. And how do you how do you find it like, because I'm a beginner, like I'm a complete noob. I'm, mm-hmm. I just turned 18 and I'm about to start investing. How do you find out about these terms like fundamentals and technicals, correct? Yeah. So at, the, you know, at this stage, I think from the offering I've seen, you kind of have two options. A lot of, you mm-hmm. know, you're based in the US, right? Just to make sure. Uh, yeah, I am. Yeah. So in the US, you have a lot of brokers uh, that, you know, you open an account and they usually have a little bit of an education section. Now that education, are, like it's absolute bare bones basics, but uh-huh. it includes those bare bones basics. So it will tell you like, oh, you know, you have like, these are the different terms that exist. And then from there, it's just Googling. It's, at this point, there's no real offering. Like, okay, look, if you're absolutely inc- you know, insanely loaded and you've got like 20 million you want to go invest, then sure, go to the banks that have like these, they have pretty good courses, but they cost like eight and a half grand for a two and a half day course. So if, if you've got the money, they're good, but they still, you know, uh-huh. the value really isn't there in my opinion. So if you're not in a position where eight and a half grand is like, oh yeah, whatever, I'll spend that on a night out. And so, yeah, basically every normal person, uh, then you, when you're kind of looking into education, it's just Google. At, at this point, it's, you know, find people, you know, that trade, that are interested in it, that can kind of talk to you about it. There's some YouTube mm-hmm. channels that do a pretty decent job explaining different things and bits and that's there. But outside of that, it's just, you know, googling and reading it's just you know like uh there's a book called market wizards which is a great book that i recommend anyone who wants to get into kind of trading and all that reads and Uh the reason why i kind of think it's so useful is not because you know what's in the book is very you know useful to know like it is but that isn't kind of the main reason but because it's kind of on the balance of kind of technical 
and meant for people in finance, but also trying to be very approachable. All the kind of basic terms and what you need to understand, you know, is if you read the book and have Google open, they mention the commodities futures or the Chicago exchange. You can just quickly Google it, figure out how these things are and try to understand the definitions. And then the uh-huh. book gives you the direct application. Because that's kind of one thing I see lacking quite a bit with education and finance that we're actually trying to solve at my company is that you get all these definitions and all these things, but then how the hell do I use it? It's kind of really tough to get that applicability directly. And what the what I like, you know, what I like about the book and then having a combination with Google and trying to learn it is they'll throw around a bunch of terms, you Google them, and then you're like, okay, I understand what this is. And then they give you, it kind of talks about different successful traders and how they use them in their trading and in their approaches. So you get an understanding of the application right with it, which is why that's kind of my go-to recommendation for someone new. Just grab the book, Market Wizards, have Google open. And as you read it, every word you don't understand, just Google it. Okay, I will definitely have to give that a chance. And then from there, just like try seeing where a company's going with just as what you were saying. Um... Yeah, I think for the absolute bare bones, literally go to YouTube and be like, how to start trading. Now, there's going to be a ton of scammy videos. So all those ads, anyone who's selling you courses or any of that, just forget it, right? Don't If, if mm-hmm. they have an educational video, watch the educational video. And if they're selling you a course, just move on to something else. And watch a few of these kind of intro to basics that explain, oh, the stock market is the place where stocks get traded and the exchange is the actual place that happens and a clearinghouse, this, this and that. And you kind of start learning some of the basics, get familiar with some of the very common terms that are around. And I think alongside that, read finance news. So Financial Times, Bloomberg, or if you don't, if you don't want to pay, uh, then Reuters is probably the best kind of news, but it's actually free because Bloomberg charges money and Financial Times is annoying. So the kind of free option that's pretty solid is Reuters. Now, personally, I far prefer Bloomberg, but that's because I have the Bloomberg Terminal, which is this stupid trading tool, which they charge like 25 grand a year for, and it's stupid. Uh, but that's, you know, they, they have kind of superior offerings as far as the understanding because they're the market leader. But Reuters will really get you through it. So you know, every day when you're looking for the news, instead of reading the news, uh, I don't know. Where do you normally read news? Uh, lately, it's just been through like, like if I have Robinhood open and then I click on like Doge, for example, and I can just see the news from there or I just kind of search if I'm interested in it. Like Apple's releasing their new products this year with the M1. I mean, mm-hmm. I already have the M1, but, but just yeah. general if I find it interesting. So what you like try to kind of replace, like, of course, you're still interested in looking into something and that obviously look into it. But Try to kind of replace that general browsing of the news by looking through those same articles on Reuters, because that way, you know, they they are aimed at finance. So you'll have more financial perspective. You'll have more financial terms. So again, you know, you read through the article, you already know roughly what's happening anyway, but they will kind Mm -hmm. of give you the finance perspective. It gets you thinking in the way you kind of should be thinking about finance. Now, to be clear, they're good at kind of getting you into this, but if they have an opinion piece about where some company's going, or if they're giving opinions on what's going on with the market, that's not what I'm saying. Listen to that's up to you to decide later what makes sense. But 
you know, when they report on the news, say, oh, Apple beat their revenue when they released their earnings or whatever, that those mm-hmm. are the kind of things that say, like, read about, look at the news. Because if, even like the politics side, if there's news about politics, they take a finance perspective on it. So reading about it, you'll find a bunch of terms. You'll get thinking about it, I guess you could say in a finance way. So you think about everything that happens as how does it re- how does it interact with the market. So that gets you in the right mindset, gets you started. Then watch you know a bit of YouTube. There's a ton of options. I think in the money, and I, I might be mixing up this channel with some other one, but in the money, if it's the YouTube channel I'm thinking of, is actually like a pretty solid option. He does a good job of explaining some basics. But anything, just literally Google how to get into trading. What are stocks? How does the stock market work? What are you know equities? Just these basic things. Watch a few videos on them, and then mm-hmm. go to the book, read through that, Google around with the terms, and you know you'll slowly get an understanding, and you'll kind of get the feel for it, and eventually you'll be like, okay, so this is what I'm interested in. So this is what I want to link into because at this stage, it is very much about kind of figuring out the things you don't know because you know uh-huh. right now there's probably a ton of things you don't know that you don't know because you're not familiar with it so it's about getting to the stage where like all right i know i don't know this and i can pick these things from that that i actually want to learn that is very helpful <laughs> and just i felt like this is a weird question um so do i just invest on like because i know there's apps like Robinhood. um do you invest through vanguard question mark just what what websites slash applications do you invest through so do you mean me personally or what i would think makes sense for uh, kind of new traders probably new traders i'm kind of interested as what you trade through as well just kind all of- right <clears throat> well i'll get started off with what i use for trading uh i use uh interactive brokers as my primary broker uh, so they have mm-hmm. they have a lot of offerings as far as the markets you can reach so through interactive brokers, I can trade U.S. markets, European markets, U.K. markets, Asian markets, and you know I have access to a large variety of exchanges and a large variety of derivatives. And now derivatives, an example of that are options. And since you mentioned you were, you know, on Robinhood, you're probably familiar that options exist. So derivatives are these basically things that are derived from some underlying thing. So if you have a stock then you know options are kind of dependent on the price of the stock so they're a derivative of that stock so derivatives as a whole are different kinds of products uh, which are derived of some underlying thing so with our ib kind of so that's the shorthand for interactive brokers uh, that's who i use because they give me you know access to a lot of derivatives they give me access to a lot of different markets and that's what really is a good fit for me uh, because mm-hmm. of the kind of at this point, well, you know, I, I understand the things I, I want to look at and what I want to trade, and I much prefer uh, the kind of open access they give me. Now, alongside that, I also have a few other brokers because I think a big thing is is never have just one broker because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm sure you've seen what happened with GameStop, right? And generally, like, you know, brokers have outages, brokers have issues, brokers have, you know, all kinds of things happen. So, the thing, like the reason why uh, I have several brokers is in case something like this happens, I can always continue trading. I can always kind of have access. And also, it's simpler for uh-huh. me, you know, let's say managing accounts. Because let's say 
I have, you know, you have a broker where I have my long-term investments. I have another account where I have my short-term. I have another account where I do just fun stuff that I mess around for just because I enjoy trading. And I'm like, oh, this could be a cool idea. Let's try trading it this way. And I see what happens. And I'm not too worried about the money that's in there and what happens to it. So this is kind of, it's an easy way for me to kind of separate and kind of segregate the different trading strategies under different accounts. But also, if something happens, some kind of an issue as far as trading or a broker goes down or anything, I can continue trading. Because the settlement, uh, so, you know, actually, I'm not going to get into this because that will be getting a bit too complicated. But essentially, having several uh-huh. brokers is quite useful. Now, as far as if you're getting started, please don't use Robinhood. <laughs> <laughs> like, they've had, they've had too many issues. Uh, they've, you know, it, it's... Look, they're fine, and uh-huh. they're probably going to be all right. But the number of issues that they've had that have been raised is just horrible. So, mm-hmm. look, I think Charles Schwab has now moved over to not having any commissions. A bunch of Fidelity has actually moved over to having no commissions. Then these are kind of the more established brokers. So they're pretty, you know, they're solid choice. And because any if the established brokers. They're going to have their issues. They're going to have their limitations. But they uh-huh. also have the benefit of you know, existing for a long time. So they're, st- they're stable. They don't do stupid stuff like, oh, we're going to stop trading on this just because too early. Right? They don't have these ridiculous controversies. And as such. So I remember when I was studying stocks a bit mm-hmm. um, and younger, uh, I remember hearing that Robinhood, someone found like a glitch with the system too to like kind of duplicate it stock i guess i don't is this was a while ago but but yeah i see what you're saying to use a more secure one and yeah i think like actually the example that you mentioned with the you know what happened kind of how someone had unlimited margin where margin is basically you borrowing money uh they did it uh through a kind of a derivative strategy where they kind of they bought the stock and then the options and they sold them and they just had the money credited and they could get it to margin so essentially, like, th- these kinds of issues exist because Robinhood is new, so they never had anyone try that. Because, you know, Robinhood targets very much new investors, so people that are new to the tr- to trading and all that. So commonly, mm-hmm. these kind of more complicated, and I-, I-, I would call them more fun, but I would say let's just keep it at complicated because if, you- if you're starting, they're definitely not fun because they, you know, if they're not done right, they carry a lot of risk. So you have to kind of make sure you're doing it correctly. Uh, they don't have experience with them. So a lot of kind of, you know, they, they don't know that, oh, this is some, if someone tries this, well, we need to make sure they can't actually get unlimited margin. We have to restrict it this way and that way and compare the transaction in some ways, which all the established brokers already know because they have experience. Like on IB, for example, you know, it it's used by, anyone from like small retail traders which have like $2000 in their account all the way up to mm-hmm. massive hedge funds which you know which manage hundreds of millions of dollars now the the ones that do billions and more they don't use IB but these you know smaller hedge funds uh still use IB for their trading a lot of brokers run through IB so they they're kind of used to these kind of more complicated professional strategies so they don't have these mistakes like uh you know like robin hood did and that's the benefit of these established brokers that they understand the strategies so they won't let you do something stupid like take out massive massive loans from uh you know on your account uh-huh 
And are these are these uh, brokers? Are they usually sorry? I'm I'm new. So these brokers are they usually like online or just kind of you go in person? I think at this point, uh, all all brokers are online. I don't know of a single broker. Mm-hmm. You know, there's small brokers that are like very local to some markets that you can go in person. But basically, every broker that I'm aware of right now is has an online offering, and then there's some which also you're allowed to call in. But nobody's gonna want to call in to execute their trades. Like you want to just go to a website, no. use it online. So I think if you are like kind of looking for a different broker, I heard good things about Fidelity. So I guess you can give that a try. I heard good things about Charles Schwab. So I guess that's you know an option. But given I'm not based in the U.S., I very much you know I, I just know the surface level of the brokerage offerings over there. But I do know that mm-hmm. Interactive Brokers is available in the U.S. And from my experience, that's the best broker I could find worldwide. But the issue with IB is that you're very much diving in at the deep end. So, you know, Robinhood is very simple. And if you open it up, it's simple to use. With Robinhood, Uh it gets very complicated very quickly because it's designed for more experienced people. Sorry, not Robinhood. With interactive brokers, it gets much more complicated because it's designed for someone that's experienced. So I would say, look at... Uh, when you're looking at you know at a broker, look at who they target, but also kind of their experience. Because if they target someone that's new, the usability is going to be easier. But if you t- if they target in someone that's new and are only like Robinhood, then they're going to have a lot of issues as functionality. So it's about finding mm-hmm. that balance of what works for you. Now, if you're only going to trade stocks, you're fine, right? Everyone understands how to trade stock. Like, sorry, every broker understands how to manage stock positions. But if you're going to eventually get into derivatives and using stuff like that, you really want to be at a broker that knows what they're doing. Uh, this is beyond good advice. <laughs> so, Thank you. Uh, and then what's the difference between like an index fund and maybe a mutual fund? Because index funds, they're kind of, from what I understand, is it's kind of just like a, it's a portfolio of the multiple different funds of. Yeah. You know, so mutual funds almost as a rule are garbage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, like you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some good ones, and I'm aware of a few that are decent. But if you're going to be getting into kind of trading and investing, I think the best thing that has happened uh, as far as the market for funds is ETFs, which are exchange traded funds. So the same way you can buy a hundred shares of Apple just through your brokerage. You can just buy 100 shares or 100 something, you know, invest money into an ETF. Let's just call it that way because, you know, uh, mm-hmm. so you can invest money into the ETF and that then tracks. And then those ETFs can be indexed or different kinds of funds. Now, mutual funds, I'd say as a rule, don't bother with it. Like if, if you're going to spend the time to understand what you're doing with investing, then like, screw mutual funds. Like just screw mutual funds. But, Index funds, what they are is they track some index. And what an index is, it's some kind of a standardized measurement. So are you familiar with the S&P 500? A little bit, yes. Yeah. So S&P 500 are the 500 biggest companies on uh, the New York Stock Exchange. So that's Uh from them, you know, that's an index. The S&P 500 is an index. And then what an index fund is, a you know, let's say you have an S&P 500, you know, S&P index fund, they will track that S&P 500 and they will buy and sell shares to make sure 
that their portfolio, when you buy into the fund or buy into the yeah, buy into the ETF, that it matches that distribution of shares and you know everything of that S and P five hundred index. And there's tons of indexes out there. There's the FTSE one hundred, which is the uh, what is it called? Sorry, uh, uh, FTSE one hundred, which is the Lo- yeah, sorry, London Stock Exchange. That's what it's called. So the LSE, uh-huh. uh, which is you know for the L- LSE, there's Nikkei. Uh, there is some super local ones. So, you know, every every exchange has their own index as far as measurement the performance. Uh, you have, you know, indexes that track very specific things. So you have indexes that will only track, you know, manufacturing, indexes that will only track tech. So you have these different kind of standardized things that measure something. And, and then you have these index funds, which just take that index and just track it and copy it as closely as possible. And the benefit of index funds is because they're just copying some index, they're pretty low cost, relatively speaking. Because let's say, mm-hmm. if, you know, if you look at a mutual fund, they charge, you know, not too much because mutual funds are still relatively low cost, uh, but they charge a decent amount compared to index funds. Because like, I think an index funds charge, like, there, there's some that charge like 0.2%. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. I'm aware of some mutual funds which will charge you 3, 4, 5% which is atrocious. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, they, it gets it gets ridiculous. Now of course, there are hedge funds which will charge you 10%. But with hedge fund like so this is just just cuz I want to say take a side note, I'm not going to get into hedge funds cuz that gets kind of again complicated. But hedge funds uh-huh. it's another type of fund. There are some that charge you 10%, but there it's worth it cuz they actually know what they're doing. Mutual funds are way too safe for the kind of fees and for the kind of active management you get from most of them. So if you're going to spend the time to learn and spend the time to understand it, just go with an index fund or just okay. do some trading yourself. Okay. That, I will plan on that. Um, I will not do mutual funds. Yeah. Actually, I just, that kind of one thing that I always, uh, you know, whenever someone's starting that I really do want to talk about is risk management. I think that's the most crucial thing if you are getting into investing is understanding risk management. So before you invest any money into the market, just do your research into trying to understand risk management and how to kind of mm-hmm. reduce your exposure so you're not you know so you're not risking losing all your money in like a two days market downturn but also so you can optimize it for your outlook so you're 18 yeah. you know you're probably looking to start investing for your retirement but also for a bit earlier but like you have you have a massive long term outlook uh, as far as when you you know as far as your investment so typically, people that are younger uh, would have a longer-term outlook, and because of that longer-term outlook, they can afford a bit more risk. And so that's why kind of risk management is very important, both because it will optimize you kind of long-term how much money you can get and try to get as much as you can, uh, but also because you know on a on a ma- micro level of individual positions, micro you know a risk management is crucial because it will you know m- reduce how much money you can lose and. Uh, find you kind of the right balance of what works for you. And and I'm just going to give you an example of why it's so crucial. So during, I think, you know, during my worst trading period I've ever had. So I, you know, like 98% of my trades were losing trades. And during that, they're only like, I made money because I risk managed. And then I had a few good trades, right? So I had a horrible number of bad trades, but because I managed Mm -hmm. the risk, 
they got closed out very quickly. So I lost a relatively small amount of money on each trade. And then the few trades that went well, because of, you know, because of the way I risk managed, those made me a decent amount of money and they covered all the losses, which is why risk management is so important. Because even if you're just going to bet on the market, if it goes up or down, and you know, you'll see what happens, whatever. If you do that and then have really good risk management, on average, you're probably going to make more money uh, than someone who doesn't have risk management and has a decent understanding of the market. Uh-huh. Uh, and does, does your, like, how much you actually make from your employer kind of affect the risk management on, like, how much you should spend for maybe that index fund? or? Yeah, I think when you're looking at your portfolio, uh, don't look at it as, oh, this is $1,000. Look as it look at it at like oh that's ten percent or this is fifty percent. So because if you're looking at it in percentages, then you're looking at your gains and losses in percentages. Now that's both good because it kind of disconnects you from the money side of it, which makes the psychology of it easier. Because you know if you open a position and suddenly you see a fifty thousand dollar trade, that's you know fifty thousand dollars that you're losing. That's like oh god. Mm-hmm. But then you know if if that fifty thousand dollars is point one percent of your portfolio. Suddenly, that's not so. That's why kind of the oh. percentages are important because in those cases, that will kind of make the psychology of it simpler for you, and also uh-huh. just balancing it, right? Because you might have ten thousand dollars, or five thousand dollars, or thousand dollars to invest right now, but then when you have fifty thousand dollars, if you decided on a strategy that has the distribution with you know hundred dollars there, three hundred dollars there then that's, you know, that's kind of tougher to scale than if you're like, this 10% goes here, 30% goes here. Well, you have another 50 grand, well, 10% goes here, 30% goes here. Very easy to distribute, very easy to kind of think about, and much easier to stick with your strategy and uh, kind of play the psychology part of it. That is literally a game changer. Like, oh my goodness, dude. Um, <laughs> I am going to implement that one night because I'm starting. Um, I will implement that across just how I deal with the risk management and just how I look at it. That's, that's good. Um, oh, and then another thing. So, so from what I've heard is a lot of, uh, investing, it can be done. A lot of it's for your retirement, right? Um, yeah. Is it, is it you, like, would you invest in, say you don't have a 401k and whatnot, do you invest the index funds or just the stocks into your, like if you had a Roth IRA, Mm -hmm. just how does that work? So do you want to, so difference, so 401k, uh, you put the money in and then you pay the taxes after. Uh, Roth IRA uh-huh. is much better for this kind of investing because you pay the taxes up front and then you put the money in. So, yeah, that's the benefit there is all that growth that you make, you don't pay taxes on it. You, you vote because you've already paid it when you're entering, which is just mm-hmm. a much better thing if you're you know, looking for retirement. Uh, you know, I'm not familiar with the specifics of the law in the U.S., but what I would do is I would put as much money as I can in both of them. You know, if, if it is that, you know, the, the, the capacity of money you have, you, you have to split it between 401k and Roth IRA. Just put as much as you can into a Roth IRA. But if they allow, uh-huh. if there's a limit on 401k and then a separate limit on Roth IRA, put as much as you can in both because, you know, it's still money that you're going to kind of not have to pay taxes on. So it's easier. And then as far as, investing i think if it's if it's for retirement then you know have the long-term outlook and look at a strategy that makes sense for you long term so this is all about the Mm -hmm. risk management right you make a you look at it all right i have a 50-year outlook 
and I'll like with a 50 years, this is how I'm going to approach it. So very, it's very much for you to figure out because, because based on how much money you want to have, uh, kind of when you retire, how much, how much do you expect your salary to increase with time? How do you approach, how do you expect things to go? What's the worst case scenario? What's the best case scenario? And you figure out kind of the risk management strategy. Now, I would love to get into that with you, but I'm not a licensed financial advisor, so I can't give you specifics. And I'm also yeah. not familiar enough with the U.S. to give you specifics on the U.S. anyway. So mm-hmm. I would say in those cases, you know, really look into risk, look into risk management, read the Market Wizards book. You're going to have a sense of it. Then you can start thinking about risk management, how you're going to approach it, what you're going to do. But index funds are a great thing. I think if someone's really not looking to, uh, you know, actively manage it, uh, they're not interested in doing that trading. They just want to throw the money somewhere and not worry about it. I, you know, index funds can be a great option. Uh, obviously, depends uh-huh. on what they're looking for. And there's a lot of different index funds, so they should pick out what, you know, is a good fit for them. But I know a ton of people that literally all they do is they put money in their Roth IRA. They just split it up between their five index funds that they picked out they like, and then they never look at it again. And it works for them. So it, it's about figuring out, you know, if because you are you seem to be interested in it and you want to kind of also trade and do it more actively, great. Uh-huh. That can that can end with you doing much better. But you kind of put in that work, do that research, figure out what you're what kind of makes sense for you, and then balance it out. Now, for people who are like, oh, I don't want to think about this at all, just spend a, you know spend a week, two weeks looking into index funds, and then you're like, yep, this makes sense. This is what I want to be kind of looking towards. And down the line, you might get interested in trading. You can pull it out of the index ETFs and you can go, you know, trade it somewhere else. So there's, you know, there's still flexibility there. So just figure out what you want now. Try to understand it. And you can always change the strategy later. But, you know, if you, if you, if you're, if the trades you set up are trades that are going to work, you know, in five years, then please don't don't change your mind when the market's going through a downturn and close the positions because selling during a market downturn is how, is how you lose the most money. That's uh-huh. just when, like, if you look at any kind of market crashes and all that, the worst case outcomes are if, when people start panic selling during, uh, you know, during a market downturn and everything's crashing and people sell. Well, market will eventually recover. So unless you need the money, what we got? Depending on your personal scenario, it might be different. But in general, you know, just selling during a market downturn is probably the worst thing uh, you know, people do. That is phenomenal advice. <laughs> um, isn't, isn't that kind of what, with uh, Elon Musk and his tweets? And isn't that where just kind of a lot of the rates went up because people panicked? In a sense. Uh, I suppose. Uh, I think his tweets are just... I'm not sure if his, his tweets are even legal uh, because the uh-huh. way the way some of the stuff around crypto he did, uh, I think like, if, if he was in Germany, he would be in the court getting like sued for a ton of money. Government would be busting him for problems. Now, I'm not again, U- US is kind of a bit more different there. So potentially he'll be fine. But his tweets are kind of on the potentially market kind of manipulation side and... yeah like potentially market manipulation yeah. we don't we'll see you know how that works out on the legal side but you know elon musk is a special <laughs> little snowflake that 
the you know the the market's having a lot of fun with and it's very interesting to watch and it's fun to trade on on like the fun fun account for trading but outside of that i don't you know i wouldn't really put too much weight on what elon's tweeting unless it's like oh tesla just went bust our entire company's bankrupt if he tweets that then okay maybe mm-hmm. maybe i'll like look at it and be like oh shit okay but when he tweets about like dogecoin and all that they're often valid points, but I wouldn't, you know, I, I really, personally, I really don't worry about them. Now, because, uh-huh. like, especially, cause I, you know, if we have the time, I do want to talk about this just for a second, is, you know, the stuff about crypto, right? I was like, oh, Bitcoin pollutes horribly. Yes, it does. It's absolutely horrible. But that's just kind of one part of it. And there's a lot of work on solutions. But then, you know, mm-hmm. in the U.S., you have a lot of discussions about like, oh, voter ID is a problem because people don't ha- even have an ID. Well, you know what you need to get a bank account and get working in the bank, you know, get uh, get using the banking industry? Well, you need an ID and a bunch of other paperwork. So if people don't have that and that's a problem, and they can't even open a bank account. So something like crypto is a massive benefit for them because they, they don't need their ID. They don't need anything. can just open an account on their phone, don't need anything. And this is really helping both globally, it just you know both in the U.S. and globally, a lot of people. So he's you know there's a lot of stuff where he his kind of tweets kind of just look at one side of things, and it's it's that with crypto, it's that with all kinds of stuff. So you know if you're if you're looking to trade, test like his news and all that, and how people are going to react to it, sure that's fun. But if you know if someone's taking it as financial advice that they actually go with. Please do your own research. Yeah. And I would use a lot of those skills you said, like the risk management and the mm-hmm. at the beginning you're mentioning um just kind of like putting myself as the CEO to see where the company might be going. Cause I, I know originally Tesla when they first started, they they did have a hardship, like they struggled. Yeah. But yeah, that is all very good advice. Holy crap. Uh I know nothing now. And <laughs> like I now I know. I don't know if you know what I meant by that, but I think do you, do you mean like you know what you don't know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. There's well, that's a lot great. more that there's a lot more that I didn't know because I thought I knew a decent amount, but now I'm like I got a lot to learn, and you taught me a lot just through this episode. I'm really um, glad I have. Yeah, and so what's that company that so for your company it's um. Uh, our business is, you know, we're building a brokerage. Uh, that's kind of our kind of revenue source. So what's gonna, what makes us money is an ESG-centered brokerage. Now, ESG, that's kind of a way to look at investing where you consider the impact of the companies you look at. So you look at the environmental side, the social side, and the governance side. Environmental, social, most people can figure that out. Well, governance is, is how do they actually run their company? How do they treat their employees and all that? And it's a, it's a way of kind of taking that into account when you're investing in companies, both because if you look at kind of ESG as a metric, the companies who are highly value, you know, high values in ESG actually outperform their competition usually. So that's a great financial mm-hmm. benefit, but also because the impact they have on the world at scale is just better. Someone that has a high ESG rating, assuming they are trying to scamming the metric, let's just call it that. Uh, they are, you know, they're having a better impact on the world than someone who has a low one. So let's say an oil company, no, take two oil companies. The one that has a higher ESG rating has the, its effects on the world are less harmful. 
So, or, you know, if some company really mistreats their employees, that will mean their ESG rating on the governance side is going to be low. So it's going to be lower compared to someone else who's the same but doesn't mistreat their employees. So you would invest in the company uh, that uh, kind of does better. So we're kind of trying to bring those ESG metrics and that consciousness of what businesses are doing, uh, both in the you know, environmental, social, and governance sides, and have that be more of a consideration investment. Because in the institutional side, like big funds and big banks and all this, they're already doing it. So there's a lot of kind of interesting ESG on the institutional side. But among beta investors, ESG is not very popular, both because it's hard to access a lot of the information and because it's just very new and it hasn't really broken into the market. So that's what we're doing mm-hmm. on the brokerage side. But we realized that if we want to get people, you know, new retail investors interested in ESG or trading with it, well, you know, there's a massive issue with education. And, you know, with me teaching finance for a long time, I always kind of looked at it as, you know, financial education should just be free for everyone. Like, it, yeah, I agree. it should be part of school or something or somehow everyone should have access to it. And when we kind of were building this company, I was like, well, broker, that makes us money. And what kind of clients make a broker money? The ones that are well-educated and continue trading on the brokerage. So it's in our best interest to have clients which are well-educated and know what they're doing so they can continue trading. So we're kind of in a unique position where it just makes perfect sense for us to go do that education and we have the capabilities to do that education. So what we're building out is now I, one thing I do want to mention, we are very much based in the EU, targeting the EU. So maybe you know uh-huh. down the line in a few years, we might expand to the US and actually uh, be able to offer something there. But right now we're just starting. We're like, uh, I think five, yeah, actually, yeah, it's the 30th. So we're about five months old right now. Uh, as has been about, about 45 employees at the company. And uh, we're building out kind of the you know, minimum viable product for the educational platform, which is very much kind of provide free, actually good financial education to the, you know, to everyone, retail investors mm-hmm. and all that. And, you know, not just cover the basics that get you started, but actually the interesting and fun stuff. And kind of the big thing that I actually mentioned here when I was telling you about the Market Wizards book is that it's applicable, right? The big, big uh-huh. issue with education uh, is someone gives you a definition of uh, what is a stock option or what is a futures contract, but how do you actually use that? Like, what, what does that mean beyond the definition? And that's mm-hmm. kind of the that- big thing for us that the education, it's actually applicable. You get to try and to kind of, paper trading test case scenarios to make sure you understand how both what it is and how to use it. That's kind of exactly why I like I wanted to do this podcast because I was struggling. I was like, okay, here's the definition. Here's an here's what a this is what a trade is. This is what an index fund is. And they just give me a definition and I was like, what do I do from here? So just your outlook on how that needs to be educated is something I actually really appreciate. Yeah, I'm really glad you do. Uh, I think it's it's what I've seen a lot when I've been teaching finance, where we're like, oh, yeah, I know these terms, but how do I use it? What is this? Like so many friends or people that I talk to were like, like, what do I actually do with this? And I I really hope we get the opportunity to kind of help address this issue. And yeah, like if, if, if that's the most thing you're looking for, just go beyond definitions to applicable examples. Go with the Market Wizards book with Google Open. It's 
what I kind of most recommend as a good starter because it actually gives you applicable scenarios and then you could figure more out from there. Mm-hmm. That is great advice, man. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add? Or do you think this would be a good no, spot? I, I think that covers off uh, just about everything. But so I, I do want to, the last thing I do want to say is risk management, risk management, risk management, risk management is the most important <laughs> thing. Please, please, please learn about risk management. And yeah, that's it. That's, that's all I have I'll to say. On that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Uh, and then you said you have a Twitter, correct? I do, yeah. And let's see. I listened to two of your podcasts today. It was Q, Sean, no. Quantum. Quantum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what did you think cool. of the ones you listened to? Oh, I, I like them. So first I listened to your most recent one. Um, that one was, that was very motivational because like you just your outlook on, hey, if, if you sign up for something like, like a startup or whatever, there's the task, like this is what I stood out to me the most. There's mm-hmm. those tasks that, uh, um, that you don't like doing about your startup, but that's what you signed up to do and you just got to do them. And that was something I, I really liked. Um, and just, and then I also listened to the one with the guest with the talking about Apple. And, oh, that was a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I really enjoyed, I'm, I'm really glad you kind of like those. And I gotta say, I really enjoyed this podcast. This is a very fun recording. So thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, thank you, Allison. Take care. All right, thank you very much. Have a nice day, bye. That information was awesome. Moving on, we're gonna mix the dough with a quote. IMO, it is best to not bother telling anyone about what your goal is, unless they are directly related to its fruition. fruition. It doesn't help anybody. Let your musical slash engineering work speak for itself. That was by user slash eager sleeper. This is from Reddit because that's where I find the best quotes, apparently. Um, but yeah, I'm one of those people that says I do stuff more than I actually do stuff. And I never put into perspective of if I, if I just stop telling people I'm going to do it and I just do it, then I can be like, oh, I did that past tense. That would probably do me better. Um, so it's something I plan on implementing in my life a little more. But yeah, it's something I, I want to plan on putting in my life a little better just that way I actually get stuff done. Because I'll post on my story, I'll be like, this is all the stuff I'm going to get done today. And I'll get some of it done, but, or I won't. And that was an example of I got people to think I'll do it or to just it, it's not actually what's happening. It's me saying it will, but not actually happening. So just just something I want to try working on. Usually whenever I try saying to someone, I'm going to start working out. This is a usually prime example of it not happening. I stop after like a week. I also suck at achieving my goals. So anyways. If I said the quote good enough, it it should make your relative sense. Just don't bother telling people about what you said and straight up just do it. And then you can tell them that you did it past tense, you know? So 
With all that said, that wasn't very much. We're just going to move on to the next segment. Ah, cold showers. The most delightful. No, that's not right. Um, so for anyone that didn't know, I decided to challenge myself to take cold showers for the month of May. I only ended up taking one cold shower. I, I couldn't get myself to do it. It was too, too tough. So I do think cold showers is a harder challenge than black and white. And black and white is a pretty tough challenge. If you've ever tried doing a whole month with all your devices on black and white, let me tell you, by the end, you're craving color. The color blue becomes something else. Like it's a phenomenal color at the end of a black and white month. So I still think cold showers are worse because there is a mental, uh, uh, there's just that mental block before you get in. So first you just put the shower to cold and then you got to step in. And that mental block is way too much for me. And I prefer bats. So hopefully that's not too EMI, but you know. So when I was doing this challenge, when I did it the first day and then second day, I was like ready to take a cold shower. And I'm just like, this isn't how I want to start my day. Like, I got to go to work. Uh, let me just enjoy the heat before I go. So, I don't know. I just, I'm just like, ah, let me go back. And I did. At first, I think I tried going with just warm. I don't even know. By the second day, I was already done with the challenge because I didn't like it at all. Um. So, yeah, this challenge definitely did fail for me. I'm not like Matt Diavella where he does pretty good at it. But failure is growth. I just know where my limits are now, I guess. Just kidding. Not really. I just know. I don't know. Sometimes I'm not going to succeed at all these challenges, but at least I tried them and I think that's what matters. Even though I barely tried this one. But I guess I would recommend this challenge. Not for the reasons. I don't. I mean, it's not a fun challenge at all. Like, I'll be straight up with you. But in a sense, you're trying to teach your mind about just getting past that mental block. Like when you're procrastinating something, there's that mental block. And this is just kind of like a big metaphor for getting in that cold shower. There's that just why would I do that? That's pain. So if you can get yourself to do it, it's I don't know. It's pretty impressive. I congratulate anyone that can stick to cold showers. So I recommend it in a sense. I, I don't think it's like life changing or something you'd want to keep doing past that month. But if you can do it, it's healthy in a sense, if that makes sense. Um, anyway, so I was, I was starting to, I was trying to think of more challenges for Linguini's dough. Honestly, I was having a hard time. I'm like, what do I do? Because I've done quite a few now. Um, but I, I, I think what I'm deciding is implementing a new method, maybe, because... Maybe this would be a good spot to add a guest. And I don't know. There's just a, a lot more I could do, I thought about. But yeah, so I was just thinking on how to improve it. So 
yeah, the first step would be getting more people to do this challenge with. And that way I could talk, be like, what was your experience with it? Did you actually succeed? Um, and they could vice versa, ask me questions on how it was for me. And we could be, I don't know, it'd, it'd be interesting. I also thought maybe it, I'm lazy, so I'm probably not going to do this. This is another example of talking before I actually do. Um, but maybe make a Discord server where we come up with an idea for a challenge and then whoever wants to join in does. And then I could just do quick little interviews of what people's experience with that challenge was like. There is a piece of equipment that would make doing that specific thing easier. But it's like $600, so yeah. As well, I think I can improve just my overall podcast better if I get rid of the quote segment. Really, it's just there because if I just if you just listen to talking for an hour, it's going to be boring. Like this podcast is pretty boring as is, but if there were no like different segments and no interruptions, then you're probably going to just lose... My dogs are barking. I don't care. Uh, but you're probably just going to lose interest in what you're listening to. You probably like phase out. So with the quote, it was like a good little segment of, hey, this is to get your attention back and keep you interested. Um, but I don't actually like quotes. I think they're kind of stupid. And I talk about them for whatever reason. And I'd prefer to just keep more in line of what I prefer talking about. So I'll see what I'll do. I'll see what I do. I, ju I just think I want to remove that segment. And most of these changes I'm talking about probably won't be till season three of Linguini's though, which is 10 episodes. So that was just what I was thinking. And yeah. Anyways, I do have a challenge for June. And I did this last June as well. It is to take a photo every day for the month of June. Like one that's decent enough that I just posted on Instagram and whatnot. It, it it's hard because if you miss a day well that's hard I don't know it's hard to just stay consistent but I feel like it's an overall healthy thing to do I guess I just don't like doing daily stuff more than 30 days because it becomes exhausting and leads to burnout and but for like a quick 30-day challenge it's, it's fun who knows maybe by doing this challenge I'll finally get to 100 Instagram followers I'm at 89 right now so yeah Anyways, we're going to move on to the ending segment, the final segment, whatever you want to call it. All right. So the guest in this episode is Allison Mahmood. Um, awesome guest. Thank you for being on. And if you have any ideas for the podcast, just let me know in any comments, email, description, however you can contact me. Um, and same if you'd like to be a guest. And if you're wondering what Linguini's dough, this is where we start with a, like a base piece of dough, which is a base ingredient. And we build from that. We can really be talking about anything. I do try to keep the dough baked at a consistent level of productivity, maybe finances, but it can be rolled around from time to time. Um, the voice actor in this video is user slash Lendry from Reddit, spelled L-E-N-D-R-Y. Go check him out if you want a reliable voice actor. And the songs used in this podcast are Slug Love 87, Go On Going, Sharonigos, Digital Memories, Witness, all from the YouTube library. So I will see you guys on the next episode. Thank you.